I, along with Amy, want to welcome you here on this long uh, weekend Sunday. Uh, as Amy mentioned, my name is David. I'm an intern here. Uh, Pastor Matt is away this weekend. Uh, so it is my joy to bring uh, God's Word to us this morning. Uh, we are continuing on in our series on Proverbs. Uh, today, the topic we're going to be handling uh, is money. So I wore my purple shirt, so you can all feel at home, all feel rested. It's going to be great. Um, if you do have your Bibles, please uh, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 30. It's right in the middle of your Bible. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can grab one out in the lobby. There's some there. You can take those home uh, with you. It's our gift to you. Uh, but if you do have your Bible, open it up. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into it together. Uh, Lord, uh, we are just uh, so thankful that we can come and gather and hear your word uh, together. So we pray now, uh, as we read it together, as we dig into it, uh, you would show yourself to us. Uh, we would see your beauty uh, and your glory uh, and we would be changed because of it. So we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. In our culture, we tend to look up to people with money. We think of people like Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Oprah, Oprah Winfrey. Uh, and we, we think, man, that's a hard name. Um, we think, man, they, they've really like made it, right? Like They must have such a great life. Like They've got the resources now to live a good life. And it's not that we think that you know, money in itself is going to provide them with happiness, but that, that money can be a means to happiness, right? Uh, actor Samuel Jackson said it best. He said, you know, if, if anyone thinks money can't buy you happiness, they probably don't have any, right? So there's this sense that, you know what, in a way it's true. Money can buy things as a means uh, to some kind of fulfillment, uh, satisfaction, uh, there's studies that have been done in North America here that, that show that up to a certain point, people are generally happier uh, with more money. And so if you're like me, you always wish you had more. You're like, ah, I wish I had more money. My life would be better if I just had a little bit more. You know, it's not that we want the, the money in itself, but it's, it's the, the places money can take us, the freedom that money affords that really is what we want. Uh, Tony Robbins is a, a motivational speaker. Uh, he puts it like this. He says, a true wealth is the ability to live life on your own terms. It's freedom. Money is a vehicle, a tool you can use to achieve financial freedom, to go after the dreams you didn't think were possible, to design your life in a way that makes you feel alive and fulfilled. So to Tony, money is not the, the end goal, but money is a means, a, a tool to achieve a satisfied, fulfilled life. And I think we think that way as well. We often think, man, yeah, if I just had a little bit more, I could, I could fix that car, we could get a better place, man, the, the vacation we could go on, it would be great. If we just had a little bit more, man, that person over there, if I had the life that, if I had the kind of money they had, we could send my kids to that school, we could, we could do that thing. There's, there's all these things that we think, man, if I just had a bit more, life would be better. Money, money is clearly a means to satisfaction in our life. And so as we approach our text today, what we see is someone whose ideas about money is vastly different than our own. His name is Agur. Now, if you know the book of Proverbs, you know it was primarily written by Solomon, but there's a couple chapters at the end written by other writers. One of them is Agur. Uh, we know almost nothing about him except what's written in Proverbs chapter 30. Uh, we don't know when he lived, uh, who he was, uh, but we know that he was a man that loved God and really wanted to honor him with his life. So if you look with me in Proverbs chapter 30, verses 7 uh, to 9, that's where we're going to be, just those three verses uh, today. 
And we're going to look at Agar's prayer uh, to God. So verse 7 says this. Uh, Two things I ask of you, uh, talking to God. Uh, Deny them not to me before I die. Remove from me falsehood and lying. And give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you. And say, who, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So Agar asked for two things. Uh, we're going to focus on the second one today, which is give me neither poverty or riches, nor riches. And, and I think to us as modern readers, we're a little bit confused by this. Uh, because we understand why he would ask for not poverty. That makes sense. Uh, but why not riches? Uh, who wouldn't want to be rich? Who wouldn't want the, the things that money affords us? And as we dig into these questions today, we're going we're to go through our text in three points. We're going to look at the danger of riches. We're going to look at the dishonor of poverty. And lastly, the satisfaction that brings contentment. So those three points. We'll start with the danger of riches. Why doesn't Agur want to be rich? The answer he gives us is, is quite simple. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? So he's saying, the reason I, I don't want riches is you lead me to deny God, abandon him. But the question we should ask is how? How does having riches lead us to deny God? Or, or if we don't know God and are searching for him, how does having riches inhibit that search? Because wouldn't we naturally think the opposite is true? Like, if you're living in an agrarian society like Agur was, and you know you have to work hard for, for food and water daily, if you've got riches, that stuff's taken care of. You can, you can focus on following God, right? Or, or even for, for us today, we think, man, if, if I had money, like, I wouldn't need to, like, cook as much. I wouldn't need to work those long hours. I could focus more on loving God. So why does Agur say that riches would actually cause him to deny God? Well, the real, the real danger of riches is that they become our source of satisfaction and fulfillment rather than God. C.S. Lewis uh, says it this way. Uh, he says, One of the dangers of having a lot of money is that you may be quite satisfied with the kinds of happiness money can give and so fail to realize your need for God. If everything simply comes by signing checks, you may forget that you are at every moment totally dependent on God. This is actually exactly what we see a God warn Israel about. When they've been wandering in, in the desert for 40 years uh, without food and water, God has daily been providing them with, with manna from heaven, with water. They've been totally dependent upon him. And, and they're about to enter this promised land, this land that is lush and fertile, where they're going to have houses and communities and, and everything is going to be great. And God gives them a warning right before they enter. And he says, watch out, uh, watch out, lest when you enter the promised land, you forget me because you're full. And so we'll read it together, Deuteronomy 8. It says, take care, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. So the, the danger of, of riches is not a physical danger but a spiritual one. One that in, in all the abundance we have, we, we're going to forget God. We're going to feel full, satisfied with other things. 
And this, is, this happens to my kids a lot, right? So my kids, they love pretzel crisps. Do you, know, you guys know pretzel crisps? I think I have, yeah, so these, right? They could eat that whole bag by themselves. Like they just love the stuff. And so we'll be going out to eat. Uh, my son, he, he loves fried rice, and there's a particular restaurant. He really loves it. It's like that fried rice is like the one. It's his favorite thing. Uh, and so we'll be going out to that restaurant, and right before we're about to go, he'll come, Dad, 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 can I have pretzel crisps? Can I have pretzel crisps? I'm like, no, James, you can't have pretzel crisps because you're going to get full. We're going to go to the restaurant in just a second. He says, no, Dad, I promise I won't get full. <laughs> Rookie parent, <laughs> I, give, I give him pretzel crisps. So what, what happens when he gets to the restaurant? Well, he's full of pretzel crisps. He's eaten so many, he doesn't even want his food. They, the, the fried rice comes to the table, he doesn't even really want to look at it. Like, it's not attractive to him. He's stuffed full of something else. And, and that's really the, the real danger of riches, is that we can become satisfied with other things and fail to see our need for God, fail to be satisfied in Him. You know, we don't naturally depend on God when we're rich. Like if you wake up in the morning and the bank account is full, we don't pray the same way as when the bank account is empty. Right? <laughs> and and when, when life is going well, we feel like we're in control. We feel like life is good. So it's not that we deny God because of an, an intellectual argument. We deny God because we, we actually don't feel like he's necessary. Uh, this is what happened to uh, a Christian man, a friend of mine knew. Uh, this man uh, was well-respected in the church, an elder, uh, serving faithfully. Uh, he had a business here in the lower mainland that was thriving. And so uh, one day, my, my friend gets a call from him, though. Uh, his name, we'll call him Joe. Uh, he, he, he calls my friend and he says, hey, we're, we're moving up uh, to the interior. My friend says, well, what? Why are you doing that? Oh, I've always had the dream of owning this house by the lake. Okay, great. So Joe moves his whole family uh, up to the interior. A few years later, my friend goes to, to visit him, uh, and, and, and he pulls up to the house, and it's one of those like huge houses. You know, the roof is like 20 feet high. It's got huge, expansive windows, view of the lake. Like, it's just gorgeous, dream house. And, and he asks, well, how, how's the family doing with the move and everything? Oh, they're great. You know, the kids, we've got them in all these sports. You know, my wife, she's able to like golf a couple times a week. And the business, we, we've moved the business. It's taking off. Everything is great. My friend says, well, and how, how are you liking the new church that you're at? And he says, well, uh, actually, we, we were looking around for some churches, but we actually, we never found one that we really felt like fit everything we were looking for. And, and he said, and I guess... I guess we, we haven't really felt the need to go lately. And see, see, Joe had everything, but it's in the having of everything that it, it caused him to feel like he didn't need God. He didn't feel God uh, was necessary. He was living a good life without him. Uh, notice that, that in our passage, Agur does not ask for riches so that he can spend the riches well. And you can give it all to charity. He says, don't give me riches at all. The, the, the temptation for him is too strong. It's too dangerous. He says, my relationship with you, God, it's too important that I would risk having riches. This, this is Jesus' point when he, when he says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but forfeit his soul? And, and so I, I wonder, do we take this warning of riches seriously? 
it, it often doesn't seem like it. I mean, if for those of us that you've been in the church for a, a while, you've heard uh, maybe Jesus teaching others on the dangers of, of riches, uh, but I know for myself, our lifestyle doesn't seem to often change. And so the question is, why? Why, do, why don't we actually seem to, to change? I think there's three primary reasons. I think, first, we, we don't usually think of ourselves as rich, right? We, we look around the room and there's always someone better off than us. We always think we could have more. But when we look around the, the world, at the majority of the world, we see what, the comforts we have. We are very rich. I mean, secondly, we, we, we tend to like the immediate satisfaction that money can bring us, right? The one-click shopping, right? Sp- spending money, doing those things, buying those experiences, they, they make us feel good and they, they bring that immediate satisfaction. But mostly, I think it's that we're overly dependent on our riches. We're overly dependent on our money and the things that money brings us for satisfaction, uh, it, it's actually so hard for us to imagine a life without the comforts that our money buys. I know th- uh, this became clear to me this week as I was kind of working through this text, and I kind of made a list. I was like, okay, I'm going to make a list of what are some of the, the things in my life that are bringing me satisfaction and perhaps leading me away from God. So I made a list, do, 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 and then I decided to go through the list. Okay, how could I approach some of these things? And every single item on the list... I was like, mm, no, I definitely need that. No, I think I need this for ministry. Like I, you know, and I, I justified everything on the list. And I got to the end and I went, wow, I, I'm a slave to my things. I'm a, I'm a slave to the things that money buys us. Because I can't let them go. I feel that they're necessary to live a good life. And I think that's true, that, that money hasn't actually bought a, brought us freedom, but it's actually enslaved us. It's made us chains. It's made us chained to the things that money buys. So this passage, though, doesn't mean we we can't be rich and be a Christian. There are many Christians who are rich and who do use their money for God's glory. Uh, it doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the things God gives us. God gives us good gifts to enjoy. Material things are not inherently bad. But what this passage is saying is, there's a warning. We need to be really careful about how we use our riches. Some of us, like Igor, maybe just need to pray, God, you know what? I know my heart. Don't, don't give me riches. It's too much of a temptation for me. Maybe there are structures, there's things we need to put in place for ourselves to, to help guard ourselves from these dangers. This is what uh, John Piper did. John Piper is a pastor, maybe some of you know, of a large church down in the, the States. Uh, he's written over 50 books now, uh, millions of copies of these books sold, and, and the royalties from these books uh, now add up to about $300,000 a year uh, in income. And so uh, John Piper, though, at the very beginning of his writing career, he was already receiving a, a modest salary from his church, and he decided, you know what, I, I want to guard myself from the dangers of, of riches, and so he set up a foundation uh, that owned the royalties to his book. So all the money there would come into this foundation, and the foundation would decide where does the money go, what charities does it go to, what churches, and they would give it away. But he wouldn't have access to that money. And he said the reason he didn't want access to the money was, was because this. He said, little by little, I might assume that my wants were my needs, and my expenses would expand, as they always do, to fill the income. So we may not need a a separate foundation to take care of our our money, 
but perhaps, <laughs> perhaps there are actions that we can take. There are steps we need to take to guard ourselves from the dangers of riches. And so a, a few questions for us this morning as we wrap this point up is where, where are we using our money to find satisfaction? What, what are those things in life that, that fill us up? Are there, there comforts, are there experiences where we feel like, man, I just couldn't live without that? And how might those things be leading us away from God? But if riches are really so dangerous, is the answer then uh, just to become poor? Should we all just sell everything? Should we all become poor and live a poor life? Agur says no. The, the answer to the danger of riches is not poverty. That's our, our second point, the dishonor of poverty. Why does it, doesn't Agur want poverty? Verse 9. Give me neither poverty or riches, lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. He says, the reason I don't want poverty is it may make me tempted to steal and dishonor God's name. Notice that the reason he says he doesn't want to be poor isn't because being poor is not great. Right? That would be my reason. God, I don't want to be poor because it's terrible. Like, who wants to be poor? Right? There are real hardships that that people walk through as a result of poverty. But that's not Agur's reason. His reason is not the personal hardship, but rather it's God's glory. He says that he doesn't want God's name to be profaned. He doesn't want his name to be dishonored. If he, if he starts stealing, it's going to cast a bad light on who God is. Right? It, it means maybe perhaps God does not care for his people, that God's laws are too hard to keep. And he knows that his sin itself uh, dishonors God. That it makes the infinite worth of God seem lesser. That's what our sin does. And so Agar's main concern is not with himself, but with God and God's glory. Additionally, we, th- we see throughout the Bible, though, that material poverty is never viewed as a good thing. It's never viewed as something to be desired. In fact, it's always viewed as something to be corrected. When we look throughout the Bible, what God has been doing through his people is actually working to correct poverty. We see this in the laws he gives to the Israelites. Uh, He gives them many laws, the Ten Commandments and others, many having to do with caring for the poor. When Jesus is on the earth, he comes and he he ministers to the poor and the needy. He, He calls people to give to the poor. When the early church that we see in Acts is exploding, what are they doing? They're caring for widows and orphans. They're selling their possessions so that anyone in the church who has need can have them fulfilled. And here in Proverbs too, we see that there is an emphasis on caring for the poor. Throughout the book, we see many instances of that. We'll look at two. Proverbs 14 says, Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Do not rob the poor because he is poor or crush the afflicted at the gate, for the Lord will plead their cause and rob of life those who rob them. So the point here is poverty is not the answer. Uh, Poverty is not something that we should desire, uh, but it's actually something we should be working to correct. And so if, if riches are dangerous, though, and, and, and poverty uh, is, is difficult and it dishonors God, what's the solution? 
Well, the answer we see in our passage is simply being content. This is, this is our last point. Satisfaction that leads, uh, that brings contentment. So before we dig into it, I want to understand what does Agur mean by contentment? Uh, if we look at verse 8, he says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. The literal uh, translation of that last line is, Let me eat my apportioned bread. Like, give me my quota of food. Uh, not more than I need, not less. And this is what we see Jesus modeling for us in the Lord's Prayer. He says, uh, pray, give us today our daily bread. Right? Not tomorrow's bread, not a week from now's bread. Our daily bread. Just like the Israelites in the wilderness, a daily bread from God. This is, this is the posture uh, of a Christian. We see, we, God, I, I don't need more. I don't, I, we're not asking that riches would increase, but we're not asking that we would be given poverty either. Give us simply what we need to live. So the question, of course, comes up then, well, how much is too much? How much is too little? Well, it depends. It depends on where in the world do you live? How old are you? Who are you caring for? The Bible doesn't give clear and hard, uh, fast lines about what is too much and what is too little. But the call of Proverbs is a call to wisdom, a call to, to seek God and ask his wisdom to discern what that means for us in our life. What does it mean to have the food that is needful for us? What the passage isn't pushing, though, is, is an ideal uh, middle class. It's saying there, there is a life of simple living, enough to just satisfy our needs. Uh, this is what's echoed by the Apostle Paul when he writes to his disciple, uh, Timothy. He says, uh, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of the world, but if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. This, this is drastically opposed to the way that we think about wealth. We think wealth is, is a means to satisfaction, fulfillment, how can you have that if you don't have anything? How can Paul be content with just food and clothing? And how can we be content with a life of simple living? Well, the, the answer for us is the same as it was for Agur and Paul. It, it, it's that their satisfaction was not found in material things, but was found in God alone. If, if we look at Hebrews, uh, the author who writes the, the book of Hebrews, he says this, he says, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. So we pause there. Why? Why should we be content with what we have? For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The author's point is this. Uh, the reason we can be content uh, is not because we're really content people, is not because we're really good at self-denial. The reason we can be content is because Jesus has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He's saying our satisfaction is not found in what we have, it's found in who we have. It's the fact that God himself dwells in us through his spirit. And that's been the, the scope of human history, that God has, has come to dwell with his people through the tabernacle, through the temple, when Jesus comes to earth, and now his spirit dwelling in the hearts of believers. And, and, and so we are satisfied, not because we can buy an experience, but because we've experienced God. We, we are not content because we have these comforts. We're content because the comforter dwells within us. 
through the gospel, we've been giving amazing riches in Christ. This is what Paul says. He says, For the, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The, the riches of Christ, that he would come, the, the Godhead would humble himself voluntarily to come and die on a cross on our behalf. Why, though? So that we could know him, so that we could spend eternity with him. We are rich. We are rich in our inheritance that one day we will stand before a holy God, not condemned because of our sin, but accepted because of the righteousness of Christ. That we are rich in our identity, that we are no longer defined by the, the sins and the things that we do. We're defined by who we are in Christ, that we are sons and daughters of God. We are rich in community, in family. We have the church. No one can say, I don't have a family who's a Christian. We have the church. We are rich in our relationships and the things that God has given us. But ultimately, we are rich because we know Christ. He is the ultimate treasure because he's eternally and ultimately satisfying. And so I have to ask, is that true of us? Is Jesus actually our greatest satisfaction? Because the call of this passage is not get rid of all your riches. The call of this passage is for find your satisfaction in God. So are we? Is, is Jesus actually satisfying to our souls? Or are we satisfied with pretzel crisps? <laughs> and if you're here and, and you, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you, you wouldn't identify that way, I, I want to encourage you that, that there is something better than pretzel crisps out there. There is a feast of joy, not just fried rice, but it's like a full course meal of joy that's, that's able to be had by those who put their faith in Jesus, right? And the beauty of it is, is you don't need to earn anything to get a seat at the table. Jesus has already paid the ticket for you. He's paid the, the price. The seat is waiting for you. All you have to do is accept the invitation. A feast of joy awaits. Come and taste and see that the Lord is good. But before we uh, close our time, I want to return uh, to the idea of money. What, what then is the Christian to do with their money? Because the world says, yeah, money is not everything, but it sure helps. Right? Money is a means, a tool uh, for satisfaction and fulfillment in life. <clears throat> the Christian says, I'm already satisfied. I already have everything I need. I don't need satisfaction from money because I, I, I have it in Christ. I, I don't need a, a better car, a better house, a, a better vacation. I, I don't need any of those things. I'm satisfied in Christ that I am adopted son and daughter of God, able to for eternity bask in his glory and grace. And so what, what are we going to do with our money? Well, it, it frees us from our money. It, it frees us because we say, you know what? Money cannot provide me a greater satisfaction. Uh, money will not add anything to the satisfaction that I have in Christ. So yeah, money, money is a tool, but it's not a tool for my satisfaction. It's a tool for God's kingdom. It's a tool for the gospel to go forth, for us to help those who are material and spiritually poor. We can now be free to use our money. And we, we see this in, in the life of, of George Mueller, some of you know that name. He was a pastor in the 1800s in England. 
Uh, he cared for orphans at a time when no one else did. Started five orphanages beginning in his house. Uh, cared for about 10,000 orphans in his life. Left everything he had uh, to go and, and work with these people. Uh, he lived a simple life. Uh, he, he didn't have riches, but he never lacked. There are stories uh, of him uh, praying and uh, minutes before the children need to eat with no food on the table and miraculously uh, a milkman stops at the door and says, hey, all my milk, uh, my truck is broke down. Do you guys want some milk? Sure, great, like God provides for this man. But he did not just depend on God physically. He depends on God uh, to find his satisfaction. This is what he says is the most important thing in life. He says, according to my judgment, the most important point to be attended to is this. Above all things, see to it that your souls are happy in the Lord. Other things may press upon you. The Lord's work may even have urgent claims upon your attention. But I deliberately repeat, it is of supreme and paramount importance that you should seek above all things to have your souls truly happy in God himself. Day by day, seek to make this the most important business of your life. Mueller expected that a life lived with God would be a life filled with joy. Uh, Not because of the things he had, but because he had God. And he expected that this joy would lead to a generosity, uh, unprecedented generosity among people. Uh, He would never ask people uh, directly for money. Uh, He would never impose that way. He made his needs known. Uh, But people would come and visit the orphanage, and when they would leave, uh, he would pray to God something like this. He would say, God, uh, uh, let this person see their their true riches and inheritance in you. And because of that, let them lay down their money cheerfully and joyfully at your feet. And this is the call of the Christian. The call of the Christian is, is to use our money as a tool for the master to build his kingdom. It's not a tool for us, for our satisfaction, but for him. If you remember John Piper, th- think about the, the amount of money he could have had. $300,000 a year. Like That's not a small amount of money. That makes a big difference in your lifestyle. E- even if you just use a portion of it. But he was content in Christ. He said, I don't need the money. He said, the money can be used for God's kingdom, for his purposes. I don't need it because I'm satisfied in who Christ is. And so what does that practically look like for us. Well, it means because of that satisfaction we have in Christ, we're, we're going to think differently about how we use that, that Christmas bonus, that unexpected raise. We're, we're going we're gonna to see the needs around us. We're going to want to care for the, the person in our community group who's going through a tough time. We're going to want to support the work of missions. Right? We're going to hold our money now with an open hand and say, Lord, where, where, would, where do you want me to use this? And some of us, perhaps, you're, you're going to start to evaluate areas of your life where you would joyfully and, and cheerfully want to simplify it for the sake of God's glory. You're going to say, you know what? I, I can eat out less. I, I, can, I can have a simpler vacation. You know what? Uh, we can use some of that second income and we can channel it into God's kingdom and his purposes. We are willing to, to, be, to, to give generously because we're content in Christ. We're already satisfied. Uh, and for those of us uh, who are here today who are struggling uh, financially, uh, th- then the call of this passage 
is for you to also put your satisfaction in Christ. It's not in the things we have or, or don't have. But it's also a call to ask for help. If there are genuine financial needs, the church, uh, we exist to, to help each other. One of the ways we do that is we take a benevolent offering every uh, month. And we want to use that, that money is set aside to use for the, the needs in our church and in our community. So if you have a need, uh, you don't need to feel ashamed to come. You come and ask. We, we want to be the practical hands and feet of Jesus in, in helping you. But above all, we are to pursue satisfaction in Christ. And, and the promise of God is that this is not a burden, but a joy. A, a joy to love the one who for our sake became poor so that we, through his poverty, might be rich. So let's pray uh, together. Uh, Lord Jesus, we are just so thankful for the work that you have done on the cross that you have uh, brought us uh, to you, and that we now know that you are with us always. So I ask you would free us uh, from our money. Uh, you, you would free us up to love you uh, and serve you with our finances. Uh, we pray uh, that this would not be out of guilt or obligation, but we pray it would be because of the satisfaction that is found in you. So I pray you would do that in us, you would change our hearts, uh, and you would make us uh, a tools for your kingdom, for your glories sake. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.